Crossengage Podcast. Welcome to Crossengage Podcast. My name is Michael and I'm doing communications for Crossengage. And today we are talking to a German specialist in search engine optimization and content marketing, Andre Alpa. When it comes to any topic in the field of online marketing, he is the one to ask. Besides working for Rocket Internet and heading the Berlin-based agency Performix, he also founded his own companies like Hitmeister that had an exit to Real. In addition, he invested in a lot of startups himself. And of course, he also publishes a lot of content. Andrea is writing books, recording podcasts and organizes events like OMCAP. Hi, Andre. Nice to have you with us. Welcome to Crossing Age. Hey. Uh, how did you become interested in search engine optimization? Even back in those days where link building was a hot topic and that stuff. Yeah. So it was an accidental uh, thing that I fell in love with anything search. Um, basically, it was even before the times when, when links were a topic at all, uh, because uh, the, the search engines before Google, they were only looking at on-page factors, so anything that you could do on your own website. So links from other websites were not a topic back then. So that's when I accidentally got into the game, because I did an internship um, in the States, um, and, and my boss there, uh, I was supposed to only manage the website, but he said, well, look, Andre, there's this search engine, I think it was like 1990. I don't know, like eight or something. And he said, like, you know, can you do something about them so we pop up when people search for the relevant terms? Yeah. And I, I, it was the first time I got in touch with search engines and I fiddled around and found a way to make it happen. Boss was happy. I thought I knew something that was good. And, and then it just, you know, it accidentally stumbled from one good accident to another. As you already said, yeah, the SEO is always related to, to technology and, and especially the on-page stuff. Um, how did this improve uh, today? So, um, yeah, how do people still need those technical skills where drag and drop is the most relevant thing you should know, perhaps? Yeah. So, so I think um, search engine optimization and search marketing, it, it, it got a lot more professional than in the early days. And I think it's an advantageous thing. Uh, these days, when I think about, in, in, for example, in SEO, um, I think there are like at least, you know, four sub skills. And I don't think that all these skills need to be fulfilled perfectly by one single person. It can be that probably, you know, for, uh, for the technical SEO aspects, you have somebody from your development team that works in the front end uh, area. He, he professionalizes in the technical SEO skills, whereas probably the project management of anything, you know, search marketing can happen in a marketing department. And again, you know, editorial aspects can probably be in a copywriting team. And uh, if you go to anything off-page marketing, it can probably be a part of PR or communication. So, you know, in, in, in extreme cases, you can have four different people working on four different SEO topics. So technical content, off-page and uh, uh, anything, you know, more strategy wise. And, you know, the combination of these four things and doing all four of them, that kind of makes the whole package that is competitive. But it's, it's, it's very unusual to find a single person who's good at all these skills. So I myself wouldn't consider myself good in all these things. I, I am good at better at, at, at some and not as good in some. So in, you know, hiring SEOs, there's usually a, a over demand in the market and not as many, you know, people that can take those jobs. So there's like a strong over demand. And I think by splitting apart the, the, the topic as a whole into subtopics and, you know, fitting them to people's profiles 
a little bit more easily. That that has changed massively. I think it's an improvement because uh, yeah, I'd rather have somebody uh, specializing who, who's a technical person specializing in testing SEO than somebody you know trying to do everything a little bit but not good enough. And the problem is SEO is very competitive. You know, there's just one position one. So uh, uh, you know, either you win or maybe you know. It's, it's hard to have a good ROI. So, so if you play, you have to play to win and not just to play along because otherwise it doesn't pay off. So that's kind of the, the, the position you're into. So I'd rather have you know, specialists being really good at their thing and then have multiple people work on the topic, even though if it's not full-time or they're not an SEO person, but they're like, a, yeah, they have their strength in one of the areas of SEO. If you don't have a, that much capabilities as a company and you don't want to spend too much effort on, on search engine optimization, where would you start, especially for, for smaller companies, if you can't hire a SEO manager yes. of its own? What's the first thing you would uh, suggest every company to do? Yeah, so, so I think it's like a really simple attempt is always to have like a, you know, a, a market standard a CMS. So, so anything, you know, if you're a shop, it's probably a shop system or if you're um, a B2B company, probably, you know, you have something that you build your website with. Is it a WordPress or, you know, Drupal, whatever it is. And, uh, and, and to just, you know, start pushing out content for relevant topics for your audience. I think that's a great first move. And then trying to, to disseminate that and, and see how the community reacts to it and then see if you can figure out, you know, how you can create content that people will interact with and understand also that, you know, just actively pushing content is not enough out into the internet because there's too much content. The question is always, you know, can you push out something that is going to be the best piece of content on the topic that you're tackling? And then, you know, and the second question is, how can you make sure that people who this content is relevant for can get in touch with it? So it's really simple questions. If, if you want to break it down to those like really, really simple things, it, it should be something like that. And I think that's a really good beginning. Okay. Um, for different industries, do they perhaps require different strategies? Like FinTech should start completely differently than a startup or a B2B company that has a special audience. Yeah. So, so I think a, a big differentiator in, in the strategies that you can pick is whether the product that you're selling is very innovative, so people don't necessarily know about it or search for it, or it's something that people already know does exist on the internet or not. So, so let's say you're, you know, you're a shop for, I don't know, sweaters, then people are already searching for, you know, buy sweaters online. Then you have to understand, okay, there's other shops. Can I be better than them? Because, you know, again, it's very competitive. So you have to either be number one or not at all there. If you're very innovative, it means, you know, uh, n nobody's actually searching for it because nobody knows about the product. So your marketing can't be as direct. So you can't usually like SEO, as I described earlier, for products that are well known where there is a certain demand, it's very lower funnel communication. So it's much like, you know, PPC advertising in the search funnel. Um, you know, people, you know, search for buy sweaters. You want to be there because actually they're going to buy a sweater if you are selling sweaters. But if you are an innovative company and usually also in, in niches like many B2B topics, and then you know the, the search volumes don't exist as such or they're like you know very different and it's it's very hard to 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 react to a demand that is already existing. Instead, you have to work more on creating the demand. So it will be much more like a, a like a content that is you know much upper, much more upper funnel. Um, 
so much further away from the actual sale, but through the, the broader uh, audience that this article will be relevant to, you'll at least have an attempt where the, the kind of the number of people interested in that piece of content will be of, you know, of, of significant size to actually go after. And then you have to figure out how to pull people from this, you know, like really early funnel content uh, to the point where you can actually sell something to them and earn money back because, you know, you have to earn money in the end of the day if you're marketing. I guess, especially in, in uh, companies that use this longer funnel, it's really important that you have also some other tools out of the marketing mix that help you support the content uh, to get out there and get actually read or listened to. Um, do you have some suggestions what's important in this field? Yeah, so I think in general, um, if, if you look at how, how search engine optimization uh, works within the marketing mix, it's typically a channel... It's, it's typically not the channel that decides whether a company lives or dies. It's typically a channel that you know, makes the, the, the ROI, the, the general overall ROI nice. So it can significantly lower average customer acquisition costs, but it's usually not the thing that drives, you know, that proves the, 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 that a certain company should exist or not. So, so it's, it's something that, you know, it makes the margins nice because it, it, it is able to acquire uh, customers very cheaply. Uh, usually it's the cheapest channel in all channels. So it's, a, it's kind of a long-term game that you're going for, but you have to do some sprints in between just to survive until the long-term game can kick in. So usually, you know, pay channels are something, you know, in startups that usually has to work out first and it has to work out so the company, you know, does make sense. The business model can be proved. And then your SEO's efforts, they start to kick in bit by bit. And then the whole mix, you know, makes the numbers a lot nicer. So this is kind of my thoughts on that, if that sounds yeah. meaningful. Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, definitely makes sense that you can't just focus on the, on the cheapest channel. You also have to focus on the other ones. Um, so what do you say if, if there's a client who, who just focuses on SEO because he wants the cheapest one, uh, which other channels uh, should he use or which other forms of, uh, from the marketing mix should he uh, use for his daily work? Yeah, so, so the problem would be if they only want to go for SEO, it's usually it w won't work out if they don't have a lot of experience on the topic because there's a, especially in search engine optimization, there's a lot of time lag happening in between. But again, you know, we have to distinguish between, you know, acquiring a customer for the first time. And once we ha he has been, you know, to the client's website or to the shop's, you know, service providers, who's ever website, the question is what happens after that? Because, you know, the, all, all these market, the, the classical marketing channels, they can, their one strength is to get in touch with a customer for the first time. But then once he, he visits the website, I think there has to be like a total change of mindset. So my strength is usually in the, the part to get people to, you know, the customer's website. But then, you know, another logic takes over. So it probably, you know, people always say CRM, but I think you have to think about it a little bit broader because... You know, if I if I if I'm a B2B company and I get you know some some interesting content out and I'm I'm getting people to my website and they're you know interacting with the content so I know it's well perceived. You know, what do I do after that? Because they're not necessarily already customers, but they already got in touch with me, so I already knew there is a beginning of the relationship. So I have to take that beginning from the relationship. You know, take them by the hand and 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 and, and figure out how far we can walk together. So so it's like marketing to you know customers that are not. Not, they are already there, but they're not yet 
paying customers and I have to take them through this journey uh, uh, and take them, you know, bit by bit. Probably I'm going to remarket with another piece of content. Uh, then I'm going to try to, you know, acquire their email address to be able to actually interact with them and not just, you know, acknowledge that they have uh, perceived some of my content and so on and so on. So this is one, one, one other, you know, big marketing area that is relatively cheap because the most expensive part is usually getting people to your website. And then once they have been there to make the most out of it, you know, to get the first micro conversions or real conversions or whatever your targets are or sales leads, um, that is the second part. And then, you know, marketing to, to customers that are already paying customers and trying to get more out of them. That's kind of the, the third, you know, big, big thing that, you know, makes a huge difference because one is, you know, working on customer acquisition and, and, you know, trying to get customers at a reasonable price. And the other part is obviously, you know, how much do I earn out of a customer? And the two, the two other parts after the acquisition, they're the ones that, you know, um, significantly change the, the customer value in the, in the end. And, you know, if, if I'm able to lift my customer value, I can, I can spend a lot more on customer acquisition and, you know, take in much longer funnels or take in more people and then, you know, um, bring them all through the all through the customer acquisition you know funnel. So. Yeah, you've been talking about uh, getting people to the website is uh, especially a hard job. So some people, I, I guess, uh, try to do it with entertaining content or more fun things or, or also influencer marketing, mm -hmm. which might be a nice topic and then just brings you some visitors, but perhaps the quality is low. So do you think that this development, especially with entertainment, is a good idea to do or? I think it has to be tried. Look, if you look at fashion or these kind of topics, it, it totally makes sense to entertain people because, you know, to, to, to really see a significant difference between one white T-shirt and another from another brand, it's very, very hard. So it's a lot about, you know, how our brands built. So it's, a, you know, if, if, if people work with entertaining content, it must be like very, very upper funnel communication. But in the end, you know, TV and, you know, a lot of upper funnel things still work. So, so, so there has to be an acknowledgement, especially from, you know, people who are really, really performance marketing driven minds. There has to be an acknowledgement. There is, there is something else there. It is brand marketing. And the, the smartest people, they're trying to bridge the, the, the kind of the, the, the two worlds of brand and performance marketing. So, and I think, you know, working with entertaining content uh, that is kind of really, really far away from where you're actually earning money. This is more like a branding effort rather than a classical performance marketing effort. And it has to be treated as such uh, when you look at the KPIs that you want to evaluate it you know, for in the end. So, so it, it can make sense. In the end, you have to test it. I mean, you can tag people and you know, uh, know which of the people that you have gotten to your website came through entertaining content. You can give more content that is you know, rather helpful, informational, or educational, and then tag those people and then just see uh, when you are kind of remarketing to them and, and you know, doing continued campaigns to those one-off uh, visitors, uh, which of those perform uh, better over time and you know, see what the customer acquisitions are, costs turn out like. You know, it can make sense and you know and and also you know maybe the ones that you've entertained often well once they become customers they're like super loyal customers because the the brand that you have built out in their brains of your you know company is, is really really nice and they really you know associate with it and they feel entertained whenever they look at it so it, it can totally make sense so I guess it always depends on the product and kind of industry you're in, uh, whether this makes sense. Uh, another thing um, a lot of people talk about is that Google and, and Amazon and Apple and, and uh, the Facebook, this world, doesn't necessarily expect you to produce nice content or create a great brand because no one cares at the end. 
How much would you agree to this statement? Well, I, that, that's very hard to say, really. Um, I, I think I think you know we have to. I, I think what, what the interesting development here is that that the, the understanding of you know search and, and where content has to be that becomes a lot broader. Um, for for a long while, I think at, at least ten years or so, whenever we said search, we meant Google. Uh, and the other way around, and and but it wasn't like that in the early days. There were like a, a dozen search engines that you would be optimizing for, and you would look at all of those simultaneously, and each of them would you know, bring their part of the contribution to the to the whole traffic mix. And I think you know we are. Uh, there is obviously you know an issue, especially when you look at mobile uh, usage of of how much time is spent on on which of the platforms, and you know is there still like an an independent decision that you can influence? But I think you know whenever there is a, a search box, uh, then there's something that people will type in there, and some of those times when they type in something, they already know what they want, and other times they'll just you know just basically say their state their need. And whenever somebody's stating their need, what they are looking for, what they want to do in an abstract sense. So let's say, you know, they're, they open their Facebook account and they write dating because they want to date. Then there's an opportunity to influence. Then there's opportunity, you know, for, for search marketing. Uh, and, and it's the same for an app store. It's the same for Amazon. And, and it's the same for, you know, Google, Google Maps, you know, Facebook local these days and whatnot. So whenever there's a search box, there is an opportunity, I think. Uh, and it's, a, yeah, it's usually a nice setup. So I think we're, we're, we're going towards times where search marketing and is going to be broader and, and content marketing at the same time. So that's, I think, the, the general trend I see from there rather than a danger. So I see an opportunity there. Do you think that the voice search is already a, a search field that people use that you can optimize for? Or is this just new and not yeah. yet uh, used? I mean, if, if you look at the, the number of typos that you produce on your mobile phone, if you're trying to type, I'd like to say, three sentences in a row, you know that you know typing on the mobile phone is not a match made in heaven. So you know that the devices that we use today, they're not the perfect thing that will ever exist like it is, especially not in the times where innovation is as fast as it is. So I, I think you know, we have to come to an interaction that actually you know, uh, works and Typing on mobile phones is not the perfect way for you know computer uh, computer and, and a human interaction. So I think you know communicating with voice totally makes sense. Um, but in the end, I don't think it's going to be much more different. The question is, you know, do we want to see the results of our search uh, or of our you know let's say stated need? Do we want to, to see them uh, to have a choice, or do we want a machine to decide which of those results is right for us. And there are cases where that is good, but in the end, I, I see a lot of the things that I see with, you know, anything voice search. To me, it's like uh, bridging some other, you know, not so optimal uh, um, man-machine uh, interfaces into something that makes more sense. Because, you know, instead of going to my, you know, I don't know, uh, Zonos box and, and typing in, you know, which, uh, which uh, music I want to have played, I, you know, I'd rather tell it, you know, play this and this in my kitchen, and, and then it does that. And that's much more comfortable than what the other opportunities I, I used to have before. But that's a voice interaction, but it's not necessarily like a real, you know, generic search uh, interaction. And then, you know, you see these trends of people 
searching stuff like, you know, call mom. It's not a regular search interaction. It's not something that they would have searched for on the internet before. They're basically just using their phone and using search much broader than before. So again, you know, the, the space is getting broader. They're going to use it more oftenly. And, and this is, again, you know, the field opening up for more opportunities where, you know, smart things can happen. The other day, I, I saw a, a, a really fun uh, tweet by a friend of mine. And th there is a sushi place, I think in Munich, it's called Sushi Near Me. Because, you know, many times when, when people uh, type in, in into Google Maps, you know, sushi, it, it, or, or it, it, the same in Facebook, they, they'll probably type in near me to say, okay, find something near the location that I am at. And if they don't know, you know, kind of what's the area of the city's name. So, you know, there's always, you know, whenever, you know, things change, how, how people interact with machines, with all kinds of algorithms, there's always, you know, an opportunity and, and like a, a, some smart moves that can, you know, be made right there. Yeah, perhaps the sushi shop was already really clever and did some SEO optimization thing. I, I think so. I think so. It's a very yeah. clever move. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely companies will have to adopt to this. We have a final question always at the end. Um, imagine that you are a customer of a really cool company that you that you really like. And is there an experience that where if you if this happens to you where you say, wow, this really puts me off my feet. This is amazing. So sometimes, you know, the, the, the advertising giants, they amaze me because I, I, I'm not really sure how it works, but sometimes you have the feeling, you know, that we already have some kind of, you know, magical big brother uh, that always listens to you because you, you're talking to a person next to you about a certain topic um, and then, you know, they start advertising to you exactly about the topic and you are sure that you have never kind of um, ever typed that in or searched for that. So, you know, you always wonder are, you know, the, the Googles and Facebooks, are they listening to you all the time? So you can get slightly paranoid. So, so I'm not sure if, you know, amazing is the right term, but, you know, uh, alert and interested about it and, and, and always curious, but also cautious at the same time. So that's what probably, yeah, I would, I would think of. Anne, thank you so much for your answers and your time. A pleasure. Thanks. Cross Engage Podcast. Podcast.